Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to start tonight in John chapter 5. If you want to follow along with us. Here's an account of a man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, we'll start reading with verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. The word Bethesda is not a, uh, a Hebrew word. It's a, um, uh, it originates with the Chaldean language, and it means house of kindness or house of mercy. In these five porches lay a great multitude of impotent folks, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Then Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now we want to talk about this story. Jesus conveyed himself away. He didn't, uh, uh, he didn't stay for even this guy, the man that was healed, to talk to him or anything like that. He meets him at a later date after the, uh, the Jews, uh, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders bring him in before them and quiz him about what happened and why and why did it happen on the Sabbath day and all that good stuff. But I want you to notice something here where it says that when Jesus ministered to this guy, he ministered to him in a different way than many of the other examples we have in Scripture. Brother Hagen had been in um, ministry over 50 years, and he, he said something one day. He came to healing school, and he said something that really caught my attention and, and probably everybody that was there too, I guess. But he said, you know, after being in the healing ministry for over 50 years, he said, I never stopped to look at the individual cases of healing in the four Gospels. He said, I've read them hundreds of times, maybe more than that. He said, but I never stopped to count them out and to compare one one to another, compare them all, I guess, as to how Jesus ministered healing and so forth. One thing I liked about Brother Hagin, and I got a lot from him in this respect, um, one of the reasons that I, I took to him and he to me for the period of time that we knew each other was that he approached everything like a, from a legal standpoint. He talked about um, the, the inclinations. He never went to school for it, but the inclinations in him and the way he approached things as uh, uh, looking at things like a lawyer. Well, I went to school to be a lawyer. And so that really fit with me. And I noticed it's something that uh, from that point forward, Brother Hagen started uh, the beginning of that uh, uh, the first day when Brother Hagen said what he did about it, he started a series on the, the uh, 19 individual cases of healing in the four Gospels. And the fact that he counted them out, compared them, and showed us, that, and the series went forever. I mean, he wasn't in any, in any hurry. He had to interrupt it a couple of times to do some ministry out of town and so forth, but he'd come back and stick with them and uh, stick with those 19 cases, I mean. And it, uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. One of the things that, uh, that I enjoy about the Scripture is that it's like a big puzzle in some respects. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that only certain people can 
understand what it means and I'm one of those people so I'm, I'm in and you're out. I know a lot of people approach things like that, spiritual things like that, but that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is John tells us at the end of his gospel, the gospel that bears his name, John told us if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, that has to mean that more people are healed in Jesus' ministry than we have record of. Has to be. The Bible talks about multitudes of people on occasion. It talks about multitudes being healed. Why then did the Holy Ghost give us record of these 19? I'm sure if I had been healed under Jesus' ministry when he was here on the earth and mine wasn't included in the 19, I would think that what happened to me was just as important as what happened to them. Wouldn't you feel the same way? Well, then we have to draw the conclusion. I believe we have to draw the conclusion. You decide for yourself. But it seems to me we have to draw the conclusion that these 19 individual cases of healing give us a complete picture of Jesus' healing ministry. That's the only way that the Holy Ghost could be fair or right in giving us a true revelation, a complete revelation of how Jesus ministered when he was here on the earth. Now, you know as well as I do that the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself when he came to the earth or in order to come to the earth. He emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. We see that identified also in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 when he's about to be betrayed just minutes before his betrayal. He prayed that God would give him the glory that he had with him before the world began. Which means while he was here on the earth, he didn't have that. Wouldn't make sense for Jesus to ask for something he already had, would it? The fact that he asked for the glory after the resurrection, after all this was done, the price was paid and the uh, old covenant was fulfilled. He prayed that God would give him the same glory that he had with the Father before the worlds began. Well, then what was he ministering under here on the earth? If it wasn't the heavenly power and glory because he is the Son of God, then, then how's he ministering? See, that's an important issue for me because Jesus said to all of us that we do the same works he did in greater works. Well, if we don't, if we don't understand what he used and what he had access to to do those works, then how are we ever going to do the same ones? We have to understand and have to know what power he was operating under. Well, that question was raised in Jesus' ministry several different times. And Jesus identified that the reason he ministered as he did and the ability that he had to minister healing, signs and wonders and so forth was because he was a man anointed of the Holy Ghost. We know the Bible tells us specifically in several of the gospel accounts how that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. That means something came down from heaven that everybody saw and landed on Jesus and stayed there. Immediately following that experience of baptism and the Holy Ghost coming upon him, he begins to preach. In Luke chapter 4, it tells us about his own hometown of Nazareth, that he began to preach apparently the same thing that he preached in other towns that he'd been to or that he would go to. We know that he's already been to Capernaum by the time he gets to Nazareth because he references the things that the people have heard that he did in Capernaum. So that had to be prior to his Nazareth ministry. But he immediately begins to, to preach from what we know of as Isaiah 61, 
saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. See, Jesus didn't do any healings or miracles. He didn't do anything supernatural that we have record of before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. We know from some things that happened and that were said by his, his family, his mother particularly, that Mary said to other people. She's very used to his words coming to pass. But that's just a part of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what belongs to anybody operating as a righteous man on, on, on this earth. And Jesus, being the Son of God, is not the only thing that counted for righteousness before his resurrection. In other words, you could be a follower of the law of Moses and keeping the commandments and keeping the sacrifices and have the same ability on the earth for your words to come to pass as what Jesus said. I don't doubt at all that there was a greater measure or a greater incidence or frequency of those things taking place. And Mary seems to indicate that. But that's still not the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you take those 19 individual cases of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry, and again, this doesn't take into account the 10 lepers. It doesn't take into account the multitudes and times where it talks about others, uh, bigger crowds being ministered to or healed. But there were 19 individual cases of healing in, in the four Gospels. The vast majority of those people were healed, almost 70%, were healed on their own faith. This does not fit into that category. John chapter 5 does not fit into that category. Let's read again some of the, the facts about the case so that we can go a little bit further. It tells us about where he is. Jesus is, is in the house of mercy or the house of kindness. There's five porches full of folks, blind, halt, must mean lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. The angel comes down at a certain time. Nobody knows when it is. Everybody's waiting to see that troubling of the water, the moving of the water that the angel stirred up. We know he wasn't on schedule. It didn't happen every Thursday at 8 o'clock. It happened randomly. It happened as the Spirit wills. It happened in a time that would be unknown to anybody. And so the people that are there that need it, need the healing power of God, are waiting for this thing to move, waiting for the water to move so they can get in. The Bible tells us about the impotent man, the crippled man. And notice what it says about him. Verse 5 again, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie... And knew that he had been now a long time in that case. How did he know? How did Jesus know? See, one of the things that, uh, that this story brings out to me, and I, I had, have to admit, there's a lot of religious stuff still left in me about some of these issues. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church. People loved God with all their heart. They walked in all the truth that they knew and understand. They resisted a lot of things that the Bible says are true particularly the baptism of the Holy Ghost and healings and miracles and so forth. But they believed generally that God could do anything he wanted to do at any time he wanted to, which the Bible doesn't identify or support. But then they also operated in such a way that, that much, of the other, much of the rest of the church world does as well by thinking that since Jesus was the Son of God, he had unlimited power and unlimited ability and could do anything he wanted to whenever and wherever. Well, that's not what the Bible says about his ministry in Nazareth. Mark 6, 5, speaking about that time after he preached to them, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the sick as well as do other things. The Bible says 
that the people rejected him. Mark 6, 5 says that he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Now, again, I know that's blasphemy for a lot of folks to suggest that the Son of God could not do something that he wanted to do. But that's what the Holy Ghost said through Mark. The Holy Ghost is the one that inspired the writing. He's the one that gives us an account or the information surrounding the account that Jesus could there in Nazareth do no mighty work. Doesn't say he wouldn't, says he couldn't. Now, mighty work has to be identified as healing blind eyes or raising somebody up from the dead or healing a cripple or something spectacular, thing like that. That's the only way that we could understand mighty works to, to be uh, defined and make sense. So it says in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work. Doesn't say he wouldn't, says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work, save or accept that he laid his hands on a few fit, sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, not too much wrong with them, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, if that story tells us anything, it tells us that God is hindered or limited according to the faith, the level of faith and or unbelief in the person he's trying to help. Jesus already identified that he was anointed. No shortage of power. The problem for people not being healed in Nazareth was not on God's side of this. He provided his only son to come to town with the anointing of the Holy Ghost to do the same wonders, the same signs, the same miracles as the people in Nazareth had heard that he had done in Capernaum. But they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. I think that's instructive for us. If the majority of people, and as I said, it's 13 out of, seven, or 13 out of 19. Since the Bible identifies that 13 out of those 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry which I think is about 70%, my math is right. If the majority of the people, if 70% of the people, if that's the number, if 70% of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry, in the incidents that give us a complete picture of his ministry, then why would we expect the majority of people in us and in our ministry here on the earth and our time before he returns, why would we expect it to be different for us? See, when we think that Jesus healed people because he was the son of God and he just had power oozing out of him, and so he's just showing people goodness and kindness and so forth, if we accept that, which the Bible does not support, if we accept that as the case, then how are we ever going to do the same works that he did? But on the other hand, if we understand what the Bible tells us, part of this puzzle, part of the mystery being solved about Jesus and his ministry and how we operate here on the earth according to his will, if we understand that it takes faith on the part of the individual as well as faith on the part of the person that's ministering to the sick, then that can explain some things to us. That can tell us some things that we need to do. Now in Mark 6, 5 where it says, He could there do no mighty work, save he lays his hands upon a few sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, not too much wrong with them. It says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. So what did he do? He went around their cities and villages teaching. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. In this case, in John chapter 5, we know that Jesus went to the five porches full of sick folks and impotent and lame and so forth, blind eyes, whatever it was. He went to that place not knowing how it was going to go. 
if Jesus knew how it was going to go, if he operated in some supernatural knowledge and revelation, whereas he knew everything before the beginning, he knew everything that was going to happen before it ever happened, then why does he ask this man if he'll be made whole? Why didn't Jesus just walk up to this guy and say, I'm here to heal you? God the Father has shown me that you've been in this case, this condition. You've been crippled for 38 years. Today is your lucky day. Why didn't he say something to him like that? Notice it says that Jesus knew something about him before he ever talked to him. He knew that he had been in that case for a long time, the scripture says. That's got to be revelation. That's got to be supernatural revelation. It's got to be the Holy Ghost revealing something to him about this guy because he doesn't know this guy from anybody. But the revelation was not complete. The Holy Ghost did not show or reveal to Jesus everything about him or his situation. Because if he had, he wouldn't have had to ask him about, will you be made whole? See, these are all things that hinder people from ministering healing to others. If we have the idea, which most of the church world seems to, if we carry around the idea that Jesus indiscriminately ministered healing power at his will without any responsibility on the receiver, then we'll never try to do that. Because you know as well as I do, none of us feel like that's the case with us. None of us feel the power of God oozing out of our, the pores of our body. And maybe that's what a lot of people are waiting for before they'll go do what the Bible says do. I don't know. However, what we know for sure is that he had incomplete knowledge, revelation knowledge for sure, but incomplete knowledge about this. And so what's the first thing that he does? He looks for faith. He looks for faith. Did he find it? Not a bit. Now this guy knows what his need is. The crippled man knows what his need is. When Jesus asks him, will you be made whole? He says, I don't have anybody to help me. Now, I think that's instructive for us because Jesus is the one to help us. All of us need a man to help us receive our healing or get to any and every blessing of God. And Jesus is that man. He was that man for this guy. But his, his knowledge was still incomplete. The Holy Ghost didn't reveal everything to him about it. He revealed to him enough to to cause Jesus to know that this guy has been in this condition for a long time. But when Jesus asked him, will you be made whole? And the guy says, here's why I can't. Now, if we think things through from a natural mind, natural standpoint, I question why this guy didn't have somebody hired. That your job is to stay with me on the edge of this water And when you see the slightest ripple, push me in. Now, I know that's natural thinking and it might not have been appropriate or doable for this guy. But since this guy knows the problem is I can't get somebody to get me there quick enough. Then Jesus, looking for faith and finding none, has what we have to assume takes place which is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost gifts of healings or special faith one or the other have to come upon Jesus now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that these things operate 
at the will of the Spirit, not at our will. So Jesus doesn't say, well, that's all right if you don't have faith. I've got extra faith for you today, so I'll just do it. But there is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that comes upon Jesus that's not seen, not felt, not recorded, not told us about in any respect whatsoever. Yet the results show that it had to be so. This guy, the man at the pool of Bethesda, is not in any more faith than the people were in Nazareth. Now, their reasons for not being in faith were different. The people in Nazareth said, we know this guy. We know where he grew up. We know his mom and his dad. They thought Joseph was his father instead of God. But because their experience with Jesus growing up, thinking that they knew him and were familiar with him anyway, knowing that before he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, he never did any of this kind of stuff. How did he get so famous for the miracles that he did in Capernaum when we know him growing up? He was always one of those goody-two-shoes kid. He wouldn't do bad things with us, wouldn't join in to the mischief we got into. But that doesn't make him the son of God. And it was thinking and reasoning like that that kept them from receiving what God had sent to do for them, what God had sent Jesus to do for them. The miracles that God wanted to perform in Nazareth were detoured, aborted. So when Jesus hears from this man a lack of faith, Jesus has no opportunity to do for him anything that he didn't do in Nazareth when he found the city in unbelief there. What's Jesus going to do? Well, he can't do anything according to what the Bible tells us. He could not do anything if the Holy Ghost hadn't manifested himself. Now, of the times in the 19 cases of healing, events of healing in Jesus' ministry, Seems like there's more than that because some of the gospel writers record the same ones. But if you separate them out and compare them, they're 19. Of those 19, we know of three. Three times where a gift of the Spirit is in manifestation in Jesus' ministry to help him heal the sick. Now, three out of 19, if my math serves me right, is about 15%. Now, granted, there are some other occasions where we don't know what it was. They don't exactly fit the, the demonstration or the, the, the action of faith to bring about somebody's healing. And they don't really fit with what we know would have to be a gift of the Spirit in manifestation. So there's a couple of them we just don't know what it was, which may be indicative to us if this is a complete picture of Jesus' ministry. It may be a, uh, indicative to us that it's always, not always necessary to know. For example, Smith Wigglesworth, who was used by God in a great measure, obviously had special faith operating in him from time to time because he raised 26 people. The number is in dispute between 23 and 26. You decide for yourself. But he had that many people raised from the dead in his ministry. I think it's foolish to argue about the difference between 23 and 26. He's got me beat by 23 or 26 either way it goes. Same's true for you, isn't it? Well, somebody that would be familiar with how the Holy Ghost moves, like he was, said something very interesting. He said this. He was talking to a group of ministers in a private setting, and he said this. They were questioning about gifts of the Spirit and how they operated and how God used him and so forth. And it was a marvel. It was just an absolute marvel. And he said this. He said, fellas, I don't know if it's better to know that you have a manifestation of the Spirit that God usually uses you in 
like the gift of faith or gifts of healings or whatever the case might be. He said, I'm not so sure it's better to know that you've got special faith or gifts of healings and that's the way God uses you. Or if it's better to just be so sensitive to the Spirit that He can use you any way He wants to whenever He does want to. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that when God is using somebody in a specific way, like in His case, special faith, most of the time, gifts of healings at other times, when you're aware of those things that are happening to you, it seems natural at the time. Now, if you were rarely used in something like that, I have no doubt that you'd be immediately aware of something different. Let me put it in these terms. John G. Lake, who was used by the power of God, used by God to demonstrate his power in some phenomenal ways. Uh, he was um, he did the work of an apostle in South Africa. He was responsible for starting over 500 churches in a short period of time that he was there. And the healings and the miracles and the things that took place, reading after him is like reading the book of Acts, just an extension of the book of Acts. He said this. He said there was a time, about a six-month period in his ministry, when he said that the power of God came upon him in such a great measure that he knew that he knew that he knew no matter what the situation was, no matter who he was praying for, no matter what the level of their faith was, he knew that he knew that he knew that every one of them would be healed and they were. He said that lasted for about six months. He said at the end of that six months, just as suddenly as it started, it stopped. He said, I found that I was taking it for granted. He said, I just assumed that since it had been going for six months, it would always be this way. And it didn't continue. Now, it didn't stop because he committed some great sin. He didn't do anything to make it stop any more than he did anything to make it start six months before. But he said this about it. He said, looking back at it and examining it, he said, if it hadn't stopped, I probably never would have examined it. He said, but looking back at it, during those six months period, he said, I was constantly aware, completely aware, completely persuaded of the dominion that man had here on the earth. He said, after it ended, he said, I know the same truth. I know the same reality of man's dominion here on the earth, but there's something about it on the inside that's not as strong. Well, that tells me it had to be a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Now, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it gifts of healings, which usually operates, and I say usually because God can break anything that we think is a rule. Anytime we try to get God boxed in on here's what it, something is and how it works, it always works some other way to show us that we don't know what we're talking about. God will always show himself greater than us. But gifts of healings is usually limited to a specific type of sickness. For example, some people have a gift of healing to minister to cancer patients. Other people have a gift of healing to minister to blind eyes. Other people have a a gift of healing in the area of deafness or whatever the case might be. Gifts of healings are usually targeted towards certain conditions or diseases. Well, it wasn't working that way for John Lake. He didn't have a six-month period where blind eyes were opened. He had a six-month period where anybody, no matter what their condition was or how strong it was or how long they'd had it, was healed. So what is that? Maybe it's special faith. 
Maybe it's a supernatural measure of faith in the area of healing. And not all special faith has to be connected to healing. But maybe it was special faith that operated in him for that six-month period of time that brought about the great results. That's possible too. What's interesting is that he couldn't pin it down himself. Now, you'd think if it was happening to you, you'd know what it was. At least I think that way. But he didn't. He apparently was in that position that that Wigglesworth talked about, where during that period of time, he was open to the Holy Ghost in such a way that God could do whatever he wanted to, however he wanted to do it. And in all probability, since he, John Lake, wasn't able to identify specifically what it was, it means God didn't show him what it was. God didn't tell him what it was. So all he was left with is knowing that it was the power of God operating in a, a spectacular and unusual way. Brother Hagen was ministering in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, well, I'm not sure what year it was. It was after we'd started the church. And um, he was ministering in Atlanta. <clears throat> And there was a fellow that came up in the healing line that was going deaf in his ears, one of his ears. The hearing was deteriorating to a great degree. And Brother Hagen found out, heard the man tell what he came for, that type of thing. And Brother Hagen reared back and slapped him in his, the side of the head, in his ear, as hard as he could. It made a cracking sound that you could heard outside the stadium. And then Brother Hagen told the man to run. He said, go run down that aisle and run back. And he did. <coughs> Excuse me. And afterwards, his ear was opened. After he came back, running down one aisle and back up the other, his ear was opened. <coughs> he told Brother Hagen, I can hear. The hearing is restored and so forth. And then when he went back to his hotel room later on in the afternoon, he was... Uh, going to take his clothes off and lay down for a nap. He found that his varicose veins were healed. He had varicose veins all up and down his legs. His legs were just as clear as could be. He didn't go for that healing. He was there just to have his his hearing restored. Well, now, Brother Hagin wasn't usually in the habit of slapping people. As you could well understand, that might not be the way you would want God to use you. But Wigglesworth was used in that way a lot. There were times where people would come to Brother Wigglesworth. He told this story. He thought it was funny. He said in one service there were three guys, all friends, who came down. And this was, this was a long time ago when sanitation wasn't as sure and drinking water wasn't abundant and things like that in England. He said these three guys came down and they all had stomach trouble. They were all from the same town, all had stomach trouble. And later they found out in that city that the drinking water was tainted and so forth. So it gave a lot of people problems. And so he said to Wigglesworth, uh, Wigglesworth asked him, what did you come for? And he said, my stomach, my digestive system is all torn up. And so Wigglesworth reared back and hit him in the stomach as hard as he could. Then he moved to the second guy, and he said, what would you come for? He said, my toe hurts. He didn't want to get hit in the stomach. 
But every time that Wigglesworth was used by God in that way, he got instant results. You'd well understand that you'd need instant results if you're going to have to minister to people in the way that he did sometimes. Same thing was true for Brother Hagin. I saw it happen on a couple of occasions, not real often, but on a couple of occasions. And whenever the Lord told him to do that, there was one lady that, uh, that uh, had on, I don't know what these dresses are called, but these real loose moo-moo dresses type thing. I, I'm not trying to be offensive. I, if I've said something wrong, please forgive me. I don't know what to call it. But she was huge. She was huge around the midsection and so forth. And it wasn't because she was just overweight. She may have been. Nobody's ever happy with the weight. Women are never happy with the weight no matter what. But it was because she had a tumor in her abdomen that was about the size of a baseball, a uh, basketball, excuse me. It was a huge thing. Well, Brother Hagen asked her what was wrong with her, and she told him the information I just told you. And the Lord said, hit her in the stomach as hard as you can. Brother Hagin stood there and argued with the Lord for a minute, asked her another question to get her talking so that he could talk to the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't think I want to do that. And Jesus said to him again, ball up your fist and hit her in the stomach as hard as you can. Brother Hagin said the second time, Lord, you're going to get me in trouble. I don't believe I want to do that. Finally, the Lord said this. He said the third time, hit her in the stomach with your fist as hard as you can or else. My brother hanging red back and hit her in the stomach as hard as he could. That thing went down like you popped a balloon. It just dematerialized. She started gathering up all this stuff around her midsection, the extra uh, fabric in the dress and all that kind of stuff. She said, why, 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 it's gone. She said, I don't know where it went. Brother Hagin said, well, lady, I don't know where it went either, but praise God, it's gone. So there are some times when People will operate in unusual ways. An example in Jesus' ministry is when he spit on the ground, made a little mud pack, and put it on the blind guy's eyes. Give me chapter and verse for that. There is none. Well, why did he do it that way? Because the Holy Ghost prompted him to. That's the only answer. Because the Holy Ghost prompted him to. Jesus did that on two occasions. One occasion he made the mud pack for the blind guy, and the other occasion he spit on the guy's tongue, and the string of his tongue was loosed. Brother Hagin told a story of a fellow by the name of Brother Flagler, F-L-A-G-E-R. Brother Flagler was known in his part. He lived in uh, Texas, southwest Texas, I think. And he was known all around, far and wide. Because just as a layman, he wasn't a preacher. He didn't have a church. He didn't hold meetings or anything like that. He just saw that the commission, Great Commission, was part, partly that it was to lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover. So he started laying hands on the sick. When he first started, he didn't have much success. And so he started praying about it, and he said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I feel like you prompted me to lay hands on the sick, but I'm not getting the kind of results that the Word says I should be getting. And the Lord spoke to him and said, you're not ministering to people in the way that I want you to. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, whenever you lay hands on the sick, I want you to spit into your hands, rub your hands together, and then lay hands on them. Man, who wants that kind of ministry? But people came from miles and miles and miles around when they heard the success rate that he had. Doctors would tell him, tell their patients, there's nothing really we can do for you, but if I was in your case, I'd go such and such a town and find a guy named Flagler. 
It was just astonishing the results that he got because he was ministering specifically in the way that God wanted him to. Now, why him? I don't see anything in the Bible where it says, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They'll spit in their hands and lay hands on the sick, and then they'll be healed. Is that in your Bible? Sure, not in mine. Well, it shows us that the Holy Ghost will operate and wants to operate through the church in a variety of ways. Some things I'm sure, and I think it's true for the the times that Brother Hagin slapped people and the times that Wigglesworth would slap them or hit them or whatever, along with the other fellows that we've mentioned, I'm sure that none of that was part of what they looked for. As a matter of fact, Wigglesworth used to cry afterwards after services about that. There would be times where the Lord would send him to people's homes, people that were sick in their homes. And he'd tell him, the Lord would tell Brother Wigglesworth beforehand, here's what I want you to do. You're going to have to treat them real rough. And Wigglesworth would plead with the Lord, Lord, don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. Let me just lay hands on them nice and sweet. But these were situations, every one of those that he was directed to were situations where it was necessary for people to receive their healing. Well, after somebody receives their healing, they don't care what happened to them before. They're just glad to be healed. Isn't that right? It'd be the case with me. So we see that Jesus is looking for faith in the man at the pool of Bethesda and doesn't find any. He gains some revelation knowledge, but it's incomplete. And so he just then commands the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. In my thinking, that's either got to be a gift of healing or it's got to be special faith. But please understand my thinking about this as well as everything else about how the Holy Ghost moves is limited. But it would appear to be so from what we see. Now, if again, if our math is correct, three out of the 19 cases of individual healings in Jesus' ministry, that works down to about 15%, I think. But I would submit to you that most of the church is looking to receive their healing the way the 15% did in Jesus' ministry. I would submit to you that most Christians are looking for God to do something. They're looking for a manifestation of the Holy Ghost to come on somebody, some way, somehow to bring about their healing. But even in Jesus' ministry, who had the Spirit without measure, he only got 15% of those people healed. Only 15% of the times that he ministered healing if, this is a complete, if the four Gospels are a complete picture of the healing ministry of Jesus. And I, I think it has to be. I mean, the Holy Ghost would be holding out on us if it didn't give us a complete picture, would he? If that's a complete picture, then only 15% of the people are going to be healed in that matter. Thank God for those 15%. Thank God that the Holy Ghost can and will move any way that he wants to. But Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, here's the final thought I want to leave you with. Jesus looked for faith in this guy because he knows that under normal circumstances in order for what the healing power of God that he's anointed with to minister and do somebody any good, they're going to have to believe to receive it. So he looked for faith in this guy. I think that's an illustration to show us that he's looking for faith in every situation that he encountered. 
I wonder if he's still looking for faith today. I wonder when we approach him to receive healing for our bodies or whatever it is we need, whatever it is the word promises us. I wonder if he's still looking for faith. Jesus said that he was. He said, when the Son of Man returns again, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Now, what do you think would have happened if this guy had, had been in faith? What do you think would have happened when Jesus asked him, will you be made whole? And the man answered something to the effect of, well, I, I've got to work on getting to the water quicker. But yeah, bless God, I believe someday I'll be healed. That would have been a little bit of faith. I wonder what Jesus would have done with that. I believe Jesus would have laid hands on him and said, be healed. I believe in that case it wouldn't have taken a measure, a special measure of the Holy Ghost or a manifestation of the Holy Ghost because Jesus would have found the one thing that opens the door to receive any and every blessing that he paid for through the shedding of his blood. So maybe we ought to ask ourselves the same question. Will we be made whole? Are you looking for some man to do something so that you can be? Those days are over. Jesus was our man. And he did something for us to open the gates of heaven for healing to each and every one of God's children. I wonder what he'd ask today. Will you be made whole? God's still looking for faith. A couple of times where Jesus marveled in his earthly ministry. We've already talked about Mark chapter 6. He marveled because of their unbelief. But there are three times when Jesus marveled because of somebody's faith. The centurion. The Syrophoenician woman. And the two blind men. In each case, Jesus marveled because of their faith. If Jesus is going to be astonished with me, I want it to be because he finds faith, not because he doesn't. Don't you? And I know I'm on good ground with that because the majority, almost 70% of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry that we have record of, and again, I have to believe it's a complete record or a complete example, enough cases to show us how it works. 70% of those people that received their healing received on their own faith. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. What if, just consider something with me for a moment. What if receiving by faith was the primary way that God wanted the church to operate and the Holy Ghost moves in addition to that to help us out? Now that sounds like the way God works, doesn't it? I believe that's the way it's supposed to work. I believe it's supposed to work that way so that we don't pray for a move of the Holy Ghost. We don't pray for something special to take place. We don't pray or look to something that hasn't already occurred. But instead we look back at what Jesus accomplished by the shedding of his blood and his resurrection. That's how it's supposed to work, folks. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God that the Holy Ghost will add to whatever we need and whenever we need it. Because God's in the business of helping people and delivering them and healing them. But he's still looking for faith. Is he going to find it? I'm determined he's going to find it with me. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to believe it.
to mix faith with everything that you said. We thank you that you took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with your stripes we were healed. Therefore, Father, we declare, no matter what it looks like, no matter what we've been diagnosed with, no matter how long we've had it, we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Body, we call you well. We call you healed in the name of Jesus. Sickness, we command you to go. And therefore, we call you gone in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We simply reach out with the hand of faith to take hold of that which you provided for us, the healing of of sickness and disease in our bodies. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you. We're so grateful for what you did for us, Jesus. We're so grateful that according to the word of God, we are healed. Amen. 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 I love this story in John chapter 5. I love the fact that Jesus looked first and foremost for faith. When he finds it, the blessing becomes a reality in our lives. Amen. Well, let's all stand. And before we go, let's lift our hands and just worship him for a moment. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy unto unto us. We know, Father, that there's a a big part of this story in John chapter 5 that took place because of the fulfilling of prophecy in the house of mercy. But Lord Jesus also prophesied, saying that the same works that that he did will do also. And even greater works than these shall we do because he went to you as father. So we thank you, Father. We thank you for the privilege to tell people the word of God so that they can build their faith. And we thank you for the help of the Holy Ghost that goes even farther than faith does. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy to heal. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.